there is really no universal musical language. Mu- music is a universal language, but there's so many dialects to that. Hello and welcome to Deconstructing Worship, a series of positive and constructive conversations about the current culture of modern worship. We are your hosts, Kyle Treble and Steve Quantic. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Deconstructing Worship. I'm very, very pleased to be welcoming my very dear friend, Cherith Johnson, to the podcast today. I know Cherith um, because um, she was studying in Cardiff and we were on the on the worship team together at the church that, um, that I go to in Cardiff. Um, but aside from that, Cherith, would you like to oh. and say a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, hi, my name is Cherith. I am 25 and I'm from Northern Ireland. I'm training to be a music therapist. Hopefully in the next few months, I will be a proper music therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was studying in the University of South Wales and then COVID hit and I'm now back in Northern Ireland learning remotely and doing placement remotely. Um, And more recently, I am doing worship, like literally from Friday. Um, I've been doing... um, uh, worship coordinating in uh, Church of Ireland church plant um, here in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I was like, what um, got you into the idea of music therapy? Because I, I find it so interesting. And I, actually, it's been a lot of my like random conversations with random people lately. So what, what kind of draw, like, drawn you into that? Yeah, so I love music and I love people and I love helping people. And when I was doing my GCSEs and A-levels, I was like, oh, what kind of thing should I go into? I don't know. Um, and my auntie, who is a paediatric doctor, she suggested music therapy to me. So I researched it okay. and was like, oh, yeah, this sounds class. This sounds like it's me. Yeah, great. Um, and then I decided to do... a. Uh, a music degree in um, Queens here in Belfast and um, at the time um, we had an African missionary from Burkina Faso staying at our house <laughs> and um, Barima so he is a church planter um, and I was telling him about music therapy because he asked um, because you're basically working with all age groups um, using music clinically just to help you know mental health, pain relief, um, like memory loss, all that, like, like just a myriad of different things. Okay. And um, he was like, oh, that sounds like in, like, when in the Bible, whenever David plays for Saul when he has evil spirit on him. So I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, it is. Um, mm. And then as I kind of journeyed through my music degree, and then I went and did traveling. I was like, yeah, music therapy's for me. So then I applied and I got in. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. It made me straight away like think about worship. Because I mean, yeah. in a way, like there, there must be a reason why like musical worship, because obviously you can worship God in like a myriad of different ways. But like music, I mean, obviously for the three of us, we're all musicians and musical worship is like our thing. But like, it's so powerful, isn't it? And I like, yeah. I think of it, like from a sense of like musical therapy and what it actually does kind of like feel physiology feel, how's that word say that word for me physiologically physiologically that's the word let's just leave that in people need to know i can't speak properly um <laughs> <laughs> like it's so cool i just ah uh, you like how how far into your degree are you um i'm at the end so i literally okay. have about three or four months left and then that's me done Okay. Has it kind of like opened your eyes a little bit more into kind of like the importance of musical worship then? Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically music's the only thing that fires up your whole entire brain. Like your whole brain is used when you use music, which is why music therapy is so good at helping people with memory loss, for example. Um, Although you have to do like an extra course to do it. Um, Okay. So, um, but it yeah just 
understanding how corporate worship can bring people together, bring the community together, um, how music can help you focus on, you know, Jesus. And um, yeah, I, I definitely think God has definitely specifically placed music the centre of worship. You know, even the Bible with the Levites and David, yeah. you know, for a specific reason. And it is because it takes your whole being to do it. Yeah, Whether you so are cool. a musical person or not, you can still engage with music. What that makes me think of is because on this podcast, we like kind of unpicking a lot of the worship phrases and buzzwords like a lot of kind of Christians because I think it's out of like a fear of emotionalism it's like a fear of us kind of yeah like a superstition about you know people's emotions being manipulated but a lot of people like to say oh you know worship isn't just music it's a lifestyle and it is it absolutely is but I think from what you're saying it sounds like that it doesn't do us any favors to downplay the importance of music because I, I legitimately didn't know that I didn't know it's the only kind of thing that makes your whole brain light up and that's got to mean something yeah right? that's fascinating yeah. like definitely I just remember when we were doing it like literally we had a lecture on it um in second year and I was like yes and I all make sense why we use music in worship and like I'm doing a secular master's or like my lecturers aren't Christians but it was just like, yeah, this is just so obvious to me why we why we do this. I don't really know if it's very theological, but like I think whenever your body, soul and mind are intertwined, and music kind of gets at all parts of who you are, it's important to not downplay the musical aspect of worship. But I do I do think that it is something that you need to take with you your whole life in every situation you're in but I think music kind of grinds us like on a Sunday for example if you do church on a Sunday I know some people don't but if you do church whatever day of the week you're grinding yourself to be able to go out into the rest of the week that's so cool it's so, like I like, like what you were talking about then Steve about like that kind of superstition behind emotionalism and all, all that sort of stuff and, and like we can all do it, can't we? Like you know, what I mean, like we always want to make sure that we're being theologically sound and making sure that it's we're not being manipulated. It's like like God didn't make a mistake when He put these things in, it like in us. Do you know what I mean, like He made yeah. us like you, you like Steve said the other day, He was like like we're emotional beings. Obviously, there's Definitely. there's we can always take something that God made for good, and we can always kind of maybe like mishandle it and misuse it. Of course, we can't like food or anything mm. like you know what I mean like I like a nice glass of wine but maybe 50s not a great idea like <laughs> so like so like we're emotional beings and like I love I love it's so cool like talking to someone who really really knows the importance of music and is also like like involved obviously you lead worship um I, I, got, I got a question how how have you found that you or have you like led differently since learning this stuff oh yeah 100 percent. like um that, well I don't do as much spontaneous worship now but when I was doing spontaneous worship maybe a year or two ago like the whole way I would do it was completely different like I was more informed I was more you know I was able to read the room better I was able to um maybe pick up on like different emotions or tensions in the room or counter transferences with other people. Um, so yeah, like you're just, I think doing a therapeutic um, degree or master's or whatever, it changes your whole being really. But I think it's completely changed the way I lead worship. And I do a lot less talking and a lot more letting the music sort of speak and letting people kind of think for themselves feel for themselves because we have to feel if we like bottle it up it all comes out anyway <laughs> so yeah so do you mean sorry do you mean like in terms of by letting the music speak do you mean like making more space for like instrumental sections or yeah like making more space um for like people just to be them whether that's in the silence or in the instrumental or in the singing being like just letting people be with themselves and with god 
um, in a corporate setting. It's quite hard because in a corporate setting, you've got so many people, but just letting people be themselves, because I think that's what God kind of wants from us is our true worship, and I think that's the way ah so cool i honestly i'm like speaking to you now and i'm like getting like super pumped up like because like we, we've spoken about like loads of times i mean like on the podcast and like in general like day to day day to day life but like that longing for people just to like just be allowed to be themselves uh, like ah oh, that's so cool like just hearing you say that of like like and like, correct me if I'm kind of like paraphrasing wrong, but like I, what I'm getting from that is like music is it's like kind of most powerful when you just let it be yeah. instead of kind of like trying to trying to take it somewhere or or things like that. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like part of maybe letting the spirit lead you as well is also mm. listening to what's happening in the room and how people are responding and taking people with you. Because like so many times as worship leaders, we can just be like, oh, this is where I am. And I'm going to take the congregation to where I am. But the congregation aren't there yet. <laughs> so you need to be like, okay, you take it back. Where are they? How can I bring them along with me? And how can I bring them to like a place where they can enter into the presence of God? Although they're already in the presence of God because God's everywhere. Yeah. So, But maybe to, instead of, the presence of God, like a realization of the presence of God might be a better way of putting it. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of feels like this should be um knowledge that well not just all worship musicians but all Christians are armed with, right? Yeah. <laughs> um because I'm really sorry Carl, I'm gonna talk about preaching again. Um, <laughs> um Steve's never <laughs> talked about preaching here, on the podcast before. Here it, here it comes. <laughs> here it comes again. The moment where people think because the thing is, like if people who know me know I'm a wordsmith. I you know, I'm a I spent seven years pursuing a career as a scriptwriter. I love words and well crafted words, but barely an episode goes past where I don't go in on preaching. <laughs> um, but like but then it just makes me think, do, does preaching, does hearing a presentation, does that engage the whole brain in the same way? I mean, it can still be transformative, of course. But, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, way back in episode one, Cherith, yeah. like we talked about, you know, that you don't get the preacher getting nudged on the elbow and asked to cut their bit short. No, yeah, you don't. Although I, my my dad's a pastor and there was one time where he was just like, I'm just not going to preach today because clearly... God's doing something with the worship mm. and then that's all he said the whole service but then that's cool I come from a musical family so that's really cool I think like, that's that's really great though because like I think like like you said Steve like like words and, and preachers and sermons whatever you want to call it like they, they can be really transformative like they they really can I know I've, I've been impacted so many times by like someone just bringing that like truth um yeah but like I feel like on the whole, and I am like generalizing, it's not everywhere, it's not everyone, but like the importance sometimes is like really placed so heavily on the preach as opposed to the worship. And it's almost as if like, just hearing you talk about like how we react naturally to music and things like that, like should, and I'm not just asking the question, like should it be the other way around? Like, like with your dad, do you know what I mean? Like he saw the importance today is the worship great so maybe the mm. answer is like it's just we just need to be led by the spirit and be and like allow yeah. allow ourselves to be led by the spirit because there's yeah. been sometimes you know we've been in like worship services where and we've talked about this before where like you know the worship leader's like i'm gonna keep going and like people are like <laughs> uh could you stop now like yeah <laughs> like, do you know I mean? so it go, it does go both ways um but yeah does. that's really cool I feel like there needs to be like mutual communication on both sides, mm -hmm. like and yeah. you know discussions and maybe more education on both sides of maybe what words do and maybe what music and worship does. Mm. I think. Yeah, because I've definitely like yeah, like I say, I think it's that kind of mutual connection and communication and trust is so important because I've literally been playing in worship settings where the person leading the meeting has not used exactly these words, but as good as just told the worship team to shut up. Um, <laughs> just, just, just yep. you know, just, yeah, just stop playing. I've got important things to say now. And it's like, yeah, but we're, 
doing we're kind of doing a we're all doing a thing together here it's not you versus us yeah and even that the congregation needs to be brought into that as well because yeah. sometimes like the leadership and like the worship team and all we're all like in our little bubble and then mm. you know, we all hate the word bubble now don't we um but then <laughs> we forget about the congregation sometimes and they need to be let in on the secrets too yeah. <laughs> because they're not secrets Okay, so question one, what is your kind of earliest memory of uh, congregational worship? Okay, so um, my dad and my grandfather both pastored the same church for about 10 years. Um, And so I used to sit with my grandmother in church because my mum was playing the piano every week (laughs) because it was quite a small congregation. But like this church really loved worship, loved to, you know, glorify God. Like they were very charismatic in their worship. But I remember being about three or four and it's just like a memory that lasted me coming into church with my grandmother and being handed a hymn book and then sitting beside her and my grandmother opening like to the right hymn, even though I couldn't read. Like it's just open to the right hymn and I would sing it, but like I'd be singing the wrong words. Those three. <laughs> um but yeah, I think I remember it because it literally happened every single week. Like this yeah. was the thing that happened. Um and yeah, it was just yeah, I don't really know why we had hymn books either, because we like would sing one hymn from the hymn book and then it would be all like Hill songs, nineties stuff. <laughs> That's really random. <laughs> I still have no idea why that was. Um, it's probably something I don't know, just to like make the old people okay with singing yeah. Hill songs stuff. Kinda, probably. I, I kind of like it to be like. I kind of like it. It's kind of you know, it's keeping it's keeping the old and bringing in the new at the same time instead yeah. of kind of brushing off one as if like one is more important than the other like that's i think that's that's really cool what baffles me you're like the second person to like remember being like three how (laughs) like (laughs) i barely remember yesterday (laughs) i mean i barely remember yesterday but i remember that one memory from being three but as i say it's because it literally was every single week like this would happen Mm. i love that so much though i love it you know like, I don't know if this was kind of like her intent, but obviously she's like trying to include you. Yeah. Like you say, it's like a really nice way of like marrying the old and the new. Because for a lot of people, I'd imagine like, you mm-hmm. know, being told to turn to a certain number in the hymn book mm-hmm. would have been their comfort zone in terms mm-hmm. of musical worship, right? Yeah. I mean, most of the churches that we were in, like, even until I was about 21, we'd all still have the hymn book somewhere, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> So after that kind of initial experience, Jeff, what was then your experience? How did your journey progress into getting involved in musical worship? So when I was 10, we moved to a church in East Belfast um, in like a really urban area. Um, if you've ever heard of Van Morrison, the church was like parallel to the house he was born in. Like, oh, okay. The worship leader that was in that church um, stepped down. He got this amazing job in another church um, and did amazingly well out of it. And my mum then built the worship team up from scratch again. Wow. Because at the same time as him leaving, a lot of um, the other worship leaders were having babies and, you know, couldn't commit. So um, she built it up. Um, I played the flute <laughs> the whole yeah. time. Um, like, you know, just being an Irish stereotype right there. Um, and there was a few guys who learnt guitar to be on worship team that could sing. There was a few people um, from England who emigrated over to Northern Ireland, came to the church, started playing in the team. A few people learned piano. So it was at a time when people in the church were learning instruments and wanting to get involved. Um, we still had an organist. 
Um, she, was, she was amazing. Um, she was partially sighted as well, but the most incredible musician because everything was done by ear. Um, wow. And most incredible singer as well. So that's where I started to get involved in worship teams and understanding what worship is. I remember my dad um, would do like these worship nights uh, this like he would do nights with the worship team where he, like we'd all sit in a circle but what's worship gonna look like in this church what are we going to sing what are what's our you know what is our motto what is um how are we going to train up other people to come in and you know do the same thing so it was all about like you know not leaving anyone behind just keeping everybody in the loop and just, like making sure the team was never like a sort of click that nobody could join and I remember my mum would like listen in on the congregation and be like oh he can sing oh do you want to be in the worship team <laughs> <laughs> like, scouting, know, scouting like, the congregation <laughs> things like that so then from there when did you start actually you know leading worship um so this has been a journey <laughs> um after that church when I was 17 we moved to another church and when I was 17 was probably around the time I really felt like um I had been gifted in this area of leading people and leading worship but the church we were in was quite difficult it was quite um it was in a, the countryside so me coming in from the city I think was a bit jarring for some of them but you know, really lovely, genuine people, just quite quite set in their ways. <laughs> yes, it was this city girl words. coming into my town. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing that accent because I'm from Devon, and that's the only accent I can do. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> that's not Kyle attempting an Irish accent. <laughs> no, this I can only do the farmerland from Exeter. <laughs> we have not had any, as far as I know, at the time of recording, we have not had any hate messages. Um, <laughs> I just need to make it super clear that was not <laughs> that was an a attempt. Devonshire accent. <laughs> That's amazing. So you were in this church um, mm-hmm. <laughs> with um, these people who were quite quite set in their in their the way that they liked things. Yes. Um. So what kind of what what was your journey there? What was the um, did you like? Did you get much kind of pushback or was it just like a lack of understanding? You know, were they kind of for you, but just didn't get where you were coming from? I don't, I like, I've been really thinking about this and um, I don't actually know, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I, I think it's some, sometimes it was a bit of pushback because I, so I played flute. So I just kind of went into the worship team playing the flute. But they knew that I could sing. They knew that, you know, I wanted to learn how to lead worship. It was never that I wanted to be like, oh, I can do it better than you, because I did not (laughs) think that at all. I just wanted someone to show me how to do it. Um, And in the youth group, the the guy who was in charge of worship would be like oh yeah you're really gifted and you're so good at like music and leading people and you'll be a really good worship leader um and we'll have you on the team but never was I on the worship team it was like oh okay so um (laughs) so weird so paying lip service to the idea of you being a worship team but actually just never acting on it (laughs) literally never (laughs) acting on it ever and I still to this day have no idea why so then my um, aunt and uncle had been going to this church before my dad became pastor there and my uncle um is still one of their worship leaders so he kind of took me under his wing and like sort of showed me how to do it but I never really led worship there I did twice that was it and then we left um because my dad got a new job um and I was like sort of sitting in the wings waiting to lead worship and then I did this mad year of travel with Elam missions looking into worship in different cultural contexts um, led some worship there and all the missionaries were like you know pretty happy with what I did 
Um, and then I went on a Elam signed training, worship leading training course. Mm. But the international um, missions director at the time was like, he, he had put me on it just as part of my year with them. Um, and I learned basically most of what I know about worship from that. Cool. So, um, would you like to just tell us a little bit about some of your experiences with Elim Missions? So what, what did you kind of, what was your experience of different cultural worship contexts? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I was like, so I basically brought a song out to different countries. So I went to Cambodia, um, India, Kenya, and the Philippines um, over a nine month period. Um, with like a two month break in between. Um, and in so basically what I was meant to do was go and record this song in different cultural contexts but I went really into the cultural contexts and the songs did not work when you put it together so I have like Kenyan version uh, Cambodian version Indian version um, but it was basically even, even though like I really failed I learned so much just from using that song that I wrote, um, just about different cultural contexts and worship and get different cultural sounds. And that's when I started unpicking the idea of like Western music and colonialism and Westernization and worship in these different cultural contexts. So like in India, it was just so Indian. They were very like using Indian scales, Indian tunes, and like they use their own languages, just really um, grasping onto their identity as Indian as well as Christian. Mm. So they were writing their own songs, using their own instruments. Um, and I loved it because I was like, yeah, they know their yeah. identity. They like, this is great. Um, in Cambodia, um, what had happened was they had Western songs and um, they translated them into Khmer, but one English word is five Khmer words, which I didn't know oh, until, wow. <laughs> until I went and talked to the Khmer pastor of the church. Um, so then I was like, oh, well, what about using Khmer folk songs? and changing the lyrics to something more um, about God, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, there had been some of that, but I just was like, oh, you could do it more. Because in Cambodia, they had their own pop music as well. So they weren't really listening to Western music anyway. So because mm-hmm. as musicians, you know, you have like musical languages. Musical languages are different wherever you go, even... For example, in the UK, like the Welsh musical language is going to be different to the English, but then English is going to be different north and south. And then Scottish is going to be different and Irish is going to be different, you know. So it was like, so I would go into a place and be like, what is the sound in this context? In Kenya, they were using a lot of more Western music, but... Um, meshed in with their own Luo or Kiswili music, um, which was quite cool just to see the difference of how people engaged with both types of music. Mm. Um, And to be honest there, it was equal for both because they would do the same dances that they did with the Kiswili and the Luo with the English songs. But in Kenya... They all speak English, Kiswili, and then their tribal language. So makes made okay. sense to do that. Um, and then in the Philippines, it was very Filipino. Um, and Filipino culture is slightly westernized, but I wouldn't say completely. But they would sing a lot of planet shakers if they were singing any okay. sort of Western music, which it was nice to, that they knew where their identity was in the Western worship scene. Yeah, learned a lot. <laughs> wow. If you're going to have, like, I know you probably got like a thousand takeaways, but is there anything that like really it, like, kind of impressed on you from, from that, those trips? Yeah, that 
there is really no universal musical language. Mm. Music is a universal language, but there's so many dialects to that. And also, if we in the West are like, oh, this is how you do worship. Well, Jesus didn't worship like us. The disciples (laughs) didn't worship like us. Like, even 150 years ago, they didn't worship like us. So, like, who are we to say we're right? It's just like realizing that it's it's just you know this is this is how we're currently worshiping and yeah. like that's amazing and and awesome and but it's you know it's it's one of a billion infinite ways to to worship and I think that, that's, I think that's really cool that's awesome. <laughs> Do I mean like we probably won't be doing this kind of current trend of CCM that we're hearing now in another I don't know fifty years it'll probably sound yeah. completely different. Yeah, might even be a year with the way things are going with like yeah. how fast <laughs> things are moving with COVID. <laughs> like everyone's <laughs> in their rooms being like, oh, what, what are the new signs I can make? <laughs> oh, 100%. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Um, cool. So like taking all that into account, all of these kind of amazing broad experiences you've had, um, what would you say your favorite thing is about worship? Um, that anyone can engage with it, whether you're a musician or not, um, whether you are a Christian or not, like it's something that everyone can engage in. But I do sometimes think we kind of, I, I liked the analogy you said in a few episodes ago, where it's like vanilla, we kind of, kind of like vanilla it and make it, you know, so it appeals to everybody <laughs> and mm. nobody. <laughs> Um, <laughs> everybody and nobody <laughs> perfect so um, I just kind of think you know we've had we've had this time to reflect so what's the what's going to be the new sound like how are we going to do that is it going to be the same for everyone or is it going to be like the musical dialects and I think it's really cool to have musical dialects everywhere because God's no respecter to boundaries or anything. So, like, he loves it all because <laughs> it's glorifying him, you know. Because so. I don't know if you've seen, uh, this is a great video by um, by uh, Adam Neely, uh, who's like a music theory guy. Um, he, did, well, he did a really famous video about CCM, but he also did this video essay, basically, about how music theory, even as we understand it in the Western world, has always been, like, a white, male-dominated place yeah um like yeah that video blew my mind because like i mean obviously growing up as a white (laughs) male like you think oh well you know know, what i'm learning is obviously the way like there there must be one universal music theory because you know it's this is how music works and and i watched that video and i was like oh wow okay yeah Yeah, yeah. like even if you bring that into like the uk context as well you've got like folk music and we do put that into western notation but it doesn't fit into western notation like it it just doesn't make sense like you need to play it by ear um you know we do write it down so it doesn't get lost but also Mm. It doesn't really tell the story of the music, the folk music of, you know, our ancestors. Um, yeah, I, I, I did Irish trad in uni and I just remember, you know, looking at the piece of music and then hearing it and being like, but that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't compete. But you, but you can like, you can get that with like, like any, any music really, like obviously like as a, as a music teacher and like, I'll give my, give my students notation of the thing. But like, yeah. there's so much you can't actually notate about like the feel of the piece. Like yeah. obviously, there's loads of things you can do dynamically and 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 things like that. But like, like sometimes it's like even the point of like, okay, this is kind of swung. It's not swung and it's not straight, but it's like it's like almost straight. But you know, like almost swung as well. And it's you can't notate that. Like, no. You just can't notate things like that. You can't notate emotion. You can't notate feeling. You can't notate, like, interpretation either. Like, I do often wonder if, you know, the Mozart pieces they play in orchestras is really the way he heard it. Yeah. Was it anything <laughs> like the way that he did it? Do you think there's um a way forward in terms of 
integrating these musical dialects into, you know, because uh, into kind of like contemporary worship, because like, I, I kind of feel like it would make worship music a lot less vanilla if we were able to experience a lot of these different elements. Or do you th- or do you think it's kind of so culturally rooted that it only kind of works in that context? I suppose I, in ways, yeah, it is very in some cultures it would be so culturally rooted that it would maybe be hard for people outside of that culture to understand. I mean, in an exa- for example, India they have their own skills that we do not use here. Um, so that wouldn't naturally correlate here, for example. Um, it might somewhere else. Um, but I suppose the things like Apple Music and Spotify, if people are willing to record maybe like their Indian worship or their Irish trad worship or their heavy metal worship and put it on Spotify, then everyone can listen to it and see the broader picture. But I I still don't know how that works on a church level either, (laughs) like in a corporate setting. Yeah, because I guess from a Western point of view, we almost kind of do expect, we we kind of expect our way of doing worship music to translate everywhere else. Um, Yeah. Like yeah, like, it's like it's like you know you kind of say like colonizing in that uh, in that sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I don't know. Maybe there isn't. Yes, yeah, so I don't. I guess there isn't like a neat solution. Um, but I just kind of, you know, I I think it's just a shame that we don't get to explore so much of that, especially especially when like we, you know, kind of see you know, like Christian nationalism has, te- you know, had, has taken such a, an, an intense hold over a lot of, a lot of Christians in America. Like if, I don't know, what, you know, music makes your whole brain light up, right? It engages <laughs> all of your being. Yeah. Like what would it look like if, you know, CCM had, you know, a more of a flavor of other nations and other cultural contexts and other cultural dialects in there? Like what would yeah. it, you know, you know, would it perhaps broaden people's horizons outside of a nationalistic worldview? Who knows? Yeah, I think so, because I do think in America, they, especially in that sort of, like, Trump evangelicalism, like, they just... They, they think that they're the only right people, and, like, everybody has a different viewpoint every culture does things well and does things terribly you know like for example northern ireland's my cultural context we do family and community really well but we do integration really badly like we keep the tribe separate we don't really like come together although there's more coming together now but 20 years ago there was none of that but I do think, I think you're right, if CCM did use, like, they have, like, a, you know, lots of different cultural contexts, I think we'd be broader-minded people and hopefully less racist. Like, I think it'd be such a great thing, a really important thing to go, hey, let's see how we can kind of integrate other, like, kind of cultural kind of dialects in music into what yeah. we do and... It's just an inc- interesting conversation, isn't it? Like, it, it, and it is really hard because, like, you look at I don't know, pop music, and like pop, you know, pop music is what it is. Like, it's it's the thing that's popular at the time because yeah. that's the thing that people like. And like, how did CCM get popular? Well, I mean, that's the stuff that the majority of the people buying stuff liked, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's such an important conversation to have and like be interesting to kind of like hash through ideas with people of like, okay, how could you make, how could you make that work? Because obviously yeah. you can, you can just go, Hey, we've got reckless love and now we're just going to do, I mean, it'd be kind of dope actually. I was going to like, like just, you know, let's, let's just, let's just drop a reggae one beat in like, in like the <laughs> middle eight. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, I mean that good. would be really cool. 
But I like. I mean, I'm kind of like talking myself into it now. I think that'd be amazing. <laughs> I think it'd be great. That's what I love that actually, because I think that's it, isn't it? I think that's probably you know I was guess I was talking about kind of like a neat solution for integrating these different cultural dialects. But maybe all we have to do is just acknowledge that we are a multicultural nation made up of multicultural congregations. Because I feel like, you know, like, um, yeah, I think it can come across as, you know, almost appropriative or disingenuous if you're kind of just doing stuff like this for the sake of it. But if there's that member of your worship team who's from India yeah <laughs> and I was like hey what if we do it like this yeah. and yeah. you know what I mean it's, it's yeah. just like having more you know having more voices at the table and again this is a theme that's come across come up in the, yeah. in the podcast again and again and again and again it's just like wouldn't it be you know it's probably it's not the whole answer yeah. to kind of deconstructing and reconstructing worship but I think it's a part of the answer to just Definitely. kind of bring out of you know if if not in terms of the songs themselves, but stylistically, mm. bringing those cultural contexts yeah. up and reflecting them in yeah. the way that we play. Yeah, like if you look at your congregation and you look at your worship team, is your worship team reflecting your congregation? Like, do you have the same sort of and a ratio of people on your worship team as people in your congregation? I mean, the church I'm in now, everybody's Northern Irish, so I don't really have to worry about that at the moment. Um, but I have been in churches here in Northern Ireland where, you know, you would have quite a big part of the population is like Polish or um, Portuguese or Brazilian or from Mozambique. And they're not represented in the worship team. And I always like, why are they not, you know, what's the reason you know is it because they English isn't their first language well sure bring them along and like teach the congregation their style their dialect their musical expression because I think that's important as a multicultural society is that we're learning about other cultures and learning about our own like reflecting off those cultures as well So we've we've hit on you know quite a few things I guess um, like in terms of speaking broadly about things that we could change about um, about mu- musical worship culture. But like Jareth, if you could change one thing, like literally if you could snap your fingers and it would change overnight, what's the kind of one thing that you would change about worship culture? Oh, it's like answer changed every day after you told me this was going to be a question. <laughs> um, what's it going to be today? Um, I just think diversity, if I could click my fingers, I think more diversity, more cultural expression, more um, people feeling connected to the worship because they can connect to the musical dialect of what's happening and that's hard <laughs> it's so hard um but I think it's maybe a way that we can sort of deconstruct and decolonize what worship is love it yeah absolutely and like we said like we're just saying I think the easiest way to do that is just to look at your worship team and just go does this worship team represent the congregation and does this team you know, represent a bunch of white CCM players. <laughs> <laughs> the answer might be, yep. Um, <laughs> and that's great. Yeah. Job done. Yeah. You have completed this episode of the podcast, listener. Well done. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> achievement unlocked. <laughs> I think also within that is, you know, if you're like me and you're going into a totally different church setting, you're like, oh, what is the sound of this? church what is the sound that the people are you know singing you know what is the sound of this community so I think for me in my context at the moment it'll be more and I've been talking about this with the rector it's like what is the sound of this community going what is it like what do the people in this community sing um and I think it's probably going to be Irish traditional music so I'm kind of like 
how do I incorporate that into church? Like, how do I bring a boron, Ellen pipes, flute, fiddle, like, whatever? Do I just say, oh, no, we're not going to use piano and guitar anymore? I don't know. Um, you know, it's like, how, how do you, like, what is the sound of this community? What's the sound of this church? What, what are, yeah, basically, what are the people singing? What is their sound? I think is another way of looking at it. Nice. So we talk about, you know, the big three, don't we? we talk about Bethel Hill Song and um, Elevation. <laughs> and, um, and I, I would love, 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 love to hear some of their classic songs done in a traditional Irish style. Yeah. I think it'd be amazing. I think it'd be so fresh and so exciting to hear. Yeah. As I, I, like in Ireland, people kind of like Keith and Christian Getty and kind of like Ren Collective, but at the same time, we kind of feel, I don't know if everyone feels this, maybe it's just me because I play Irish trad. <laughs> um, <laughs> sometimes I feel like they pander too much to the American audience and it's become American Irish music, which is a thing. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Um, whereas, I feel like if I went down to like a pub or somebody's house and did a trad session, it would sound completely different. Um, like one of their songs. Um, I would say Ren Collective are probably like they're they see the thing is Ren Collective and Keith and Chris Getty, they're from the same part of Ireland, um, which is the same as me, like same part I'm from. So it's, you know, what 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 would it sound like if I brought maybe one of their tunes to a pub. Would it sound the same? Probably not. Irish tradition. Uh, the other thing is, like Irish traditional music had a, like a real resurgence over the past sort of decade. So it's like, oh, maybe the church should like jump on that bandwagon with that revival and see where it yeah, goes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because you know, I didn't want to kind of you know ask the obvious the obvious question and mention Ren Collective like straight away because like but the thing is for most people you know and again you know we'd love Ren Collective they're really good yeah I love Ren Collective <laughs> I love Ren Collective <laughs> they are really really good this album is amazing <laughs> um but like that but Ren Collective are what most people will think of if you said traditional worship music and you know traditional Irish style worship yeah. music and to some extent it is but to other extents, it's really, really not. Like, it's kind of like, yeah, because I, I, that, so Ren Collective came out of Elam in Ireland. So I grew up in Elam in Ireland. So I saw them and heard them before their first album was out. Um, and they were probably a lot more Irish then than they are now. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, like, um, in Northern Ireland, or in Ireland, you have different dialects again when it comes to Irish music. Um, so um, we have four provinces, Ulster, Munster, Leinster and Connacht, and each province has a different style, different instrumentation. Like, yeah, so um, theirs is probably more of an Ulster style. It's like fast and heavy and very percussive. Um but also, I think the more they stayed in Nashville, the more American Irish they sounded. Yeah. Even though I still love them and I still listen yeah. to them, but I, in my head, I'm like, okay, this is American Irish music rather than like Irish. Straight up, yeah. But I just think Irish worship music really exists. Yeah. <laughs> if you get me, I think yeah, it is all yeah. that spacey rock. And I just always think what would happen. Because in, in Northern Ireland, it's 14% of people would consider themselves like born-again Christians, like in quotation marks. And then in the Republic of Ireland, it's 1.8%. would see would say that they're, in quotes, born-again Christian. That's from the Joshua Project website. So they kind of see how many Christians are living in each country of the world. So Northern Ireland is the... It, they would say is the most um, reached part of Europe and the Republic of Ireland is the least reached English-speaking country in the world. Wow, fascinating. Wow. So, you know, and I have lots of friends in Dublin who are Christians and I remember one of my friends saying to me, 
like we don't really connect with Elevation and Bethel and Hillsong like you guys do up north. Um, so then I was kind of thinking, and what if Irish trad was brought into the equation? Like, what if that was the style? Would more people feel like they could engage with worship? Just a question. Maybe I'll try it out. I don't know. I think it should. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So interesting. Yeah. Take a video and send you it, or just next time you're in Belfast, you can come. <laughs> <laughs> so that feels like a really good and positive place to you know, end the episode, right? Because like we've, yeah. we've deconstructed, I feel like we've reconstructed and we are, you know, launching Cherith into her new career yeah. as a traditional Irish musical missionary. <laughs> um, I think that's perfect. There we go. Um, fantastic. Um, and I look forward to, to watching with great interest what your band looks like. And can I come and play for you, please? Um, yeah. <laughs> Just give me six months. Um, there we go. But um, yeah, but seriously, um, Cherith, this has just been such an enlightening experience just from the point, just from a cultural point of view, from, you know, a physiological point of view. This has been absolutely fantastic. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I look forward to having you on the podcast again sometime. Yeah. um, Thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this. Brilliant. And we've enjoyed having you. It's been awesome and hopefully people can understand my irish accent (laughs) thank you for listening to this week's episode of deconstructing worship we hope that you got as much from it as we did Um, we would absolutely love to have you all involved in these conversations so please find us at instagram and youtube both under the handle at deconstructing worship and please send in any emails with any questions or anything that you would love involved uh, within any kind of future episodes and our email is deconstructingworship at gmail.com and we will talk to you next week bye-bye